Okay, our next speaker is Dr. Alexia. Uh, she, so she works at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical uh, Medicine. Dr. Sears' research interests lie in human behavioral ecology uh, and evolutionary demography. And she, she mainly focused in two areas, investigating the impact of kin on reproductive outcomes and examining interaction between health and reproduction. Her background is interdisciplinary, includes degrees in zoology, statistics, and biological anthropology. Uh, she taught demography at LSE for eight years before becoming a reader in evolutionary anthropology at Durham University and uh, be successful with an ERC starting grant uh, on family matters. Uh, she's currently reader in population health at uh, the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine and she heads the evolutionary demography group since uh, 2012. But it's not why I've invited Rebecca. Um, we love Rebecca in our field because she's been extremely proactive in connecting people and in promoting uh, the field of evolution and human behaviour generally. She's co-founded EB, the European Human Behaviour and Evolution Association. Um, she's also been a, a, a notable um, a mentor and inspiration for a number of female academics, including myself. And she's shaping the field, I think. Um, she's just, for instance, she's just published, um, um, or she's co-author on a number of papers uh, starting this new field of evolutionary public health to be published in the Lancet pretty soon. Um, and also a special, special issue in philosophical transaction uh, starting the field of evolutionary demography. Rebecca, it's all yours. Thank you very much, Alex, for that introduction. And thank you also for the invitation to both of you. I was really delighted to be invited to speak here. I think this reimagining of biological anthropology at Oxford is a fantastic idea, and I wish you both the very best of success. <laughs> I was even more excited when I got here this afternoon and saw the plaque on the wall saying that this was the location of the Wilberforce Huxley debate, as Alex also mentioned. So that, that delighted me even more when I realised I would be speaking in, in such a building. But I'm going to try not to be overwhelmed by history, and instead I'll talk about my vision of the future for biological anthropology. And my vision is a very simple one. I think the future of biological anthropology is interdisciplinary. Now you might be thinking, but surely the present of biological anthropology is interdisciplinary. Isn't the clue in the name, biological anthropology? And I completely agree. I think anthropology, biological anthropology, is already um, an interdisciplinary discipline. And looking for an image um, to illustrate this, I find this, I'm sure you've seen this meme, these memes where uh, you have a particular subject and then how different people see this particular <coughs> subject. And I thought this slide was good because it illustrates the paleontology and archaeology side of biological anthropology. They're studying contemporary human behaviour, studying culture as well, and a bit of activism in there. So I think this slide nicely illustrates how interdisciplinary biological anthropology already is. Okay, I confess, the real reason I'm showing this slide is because the idea that society, when they think of a biological anthropologist, <laughs> immediately thinks of Angelina Jolie, really tickled me. Not something that had occurred to me before, that anybody should mistake me for Angelina Jolie, but I quite like that idea. <laughs> 
even though I know that is not how most people <laughs> see me or any other anthropologist I know, I suspect. However, moving on from Laura Croft. So, anthropology, biological anthropology, already is relatively interdisciplinary, but I'm talking about interdisciplinarity beyond anthropology. So, the point of biological anthropology is to understand humans, and there are many other disciplines beyond anthropology which can contribute to this. So a number of social sciences, demography, something I work in a lot these days, but also economics, sociology, psychology, the humanities, such as history, from biology to many uh, disciplines which could contribute. Clearly, I should also have physical sciences on that slide as well after Peter's talk. So I'm really talking about interdisciplinarity beyond anthropology. So why do I think this is so important? Well, this is one of the, my favourite talk titles. This is from the European Population Conference some years ago now. It was a plenary talk and the title was God has chosen to give the easy problems to physicists. Subtitled, or why demographers need theory. So the point of this talk was to say that um, demographers deal with human behaviour and human behaviour is really complex. Never mind trying to understand the origins of the universe, that's relatively simple. Understanding human behaviour here, we have a real challenge. So I think this makes the point that humans, understanding humans in their entire, entirety is extremely complex. And we need to use all of the tools that we have available to us in order to achieve this goal of understanding humans in their entirety. So I think interdisciplinarity is a good thing because we're dealing with a, we're trying to understand something very complex, human physiology and behaviour. This is really hard to do. <coughs> And I think the key to understanding these complex processes is diversity. In theory, in methods, research questions, regions, study populations, in perspectives. So all kinds of diversity will help us to better understand living humans. Now in some respects, anthropology and biological anthropology is quite good at this. Uh, in terms of, for example, in regional study population, Biological anthropology is really good at understanding the diversity of human populations. Perhaps unlike some of the other social sciences, anthropologists are very well aware that humans come in all shapes and sizes and different cultures um, and really make the point of studying all of these different populations in a, a lot of detail. So in some respects, anthropology already is interdisciplinary. It's already ahead of the curve. But there are areas, I think, which it could improve. And certainly in the sub-discipline which I inhabit, evolutionary anthropology, there are some, some gaps in our understanding. And one of those, I think, is modern contemporary societies. Some of us study modern contemporary societies as opposed to small-scale subsistence societies, but this is still relatively uncommon, at least in evolutionary anthropology. There's still a lot of kudos given to having a field site, a lot of jobs in biology, bio, biological anthropology, require that you have some kind of field site. There's really a lot of kudos to you know, spending years in the field without having a hot shower and collecting your own primary data. So this is what anthropologists are really meant to do. And I think that's fantastic that anthropologists do that. In addition, though, I think we also need to, to study our own kind of society, modern contemporary societies. We can learn a lot from humans from studying these kinds of societies alongside the small-scale subsistence societies that evolutionary anthropologists typically study. And I think there are some advantages to studying modern contemporary societies. There are some disadvantages in that we, have, we these are very complex societies. But there's also a lot of data available already out there on these societies that we could make use of and should be making use of much more. 
Um, I co-edited a special issue of the journal Human Nature recently with Siobhan Matteson called Modernising Evolutionary Anthropology, and that was one of the points we really tried to make there. Anthropologists should broaden their uh, scope of study, if you like, to all kinds of human society. <coughs> now, in other respects, anthropology is already quite rich uh, and diverse. In terms of theoretical frameworks, anthropology is quite rich and diverse because it spans the, uh, from the very scientific, evolutionary, biological anthropology side of things, and yet it incorporates to the opposite end of the um, academic spectrum in terms of social um, anthropology, incorporating ideas from social anthropology and biological <coughs> anthropology. So these are more interpretive ideas, more, um, uh, more postmodern ideas, post-structural ideas. So anthropology already is very rich in these theoretical frameworks, but I think maybe it's too rich. Sometimes the two sides of anthropology don't communicate very well because they really are at opposite ends of the academic spectrum, from the very scientific, biological end to the very interpretive, social end of anthropology. So one of the reasons I think we should be looking at interdisciplinarity beyond anthropology is that some of these other social sciences can form a bridge between those two um, ends of the spectrum. So disciplines like demography, economics, sociology to some extent, these are empirical quantitative social sciences which are, if you like, somewhere in between the very scientific end of biological anthropology and the more interpretive end of social anthropology. So I think one of the benefits of interdisciplinarity beyond anthropology is that these social science disciplines can form a bridge and help us bring more uh, social anthropology into biological anthropology. <laughs> Another reason I think interdisciplinarity beyond anthropology is such a good idea is because different disciplines bring different perspectives to the same phenomena. I'm sure you've seen something like this before. It's a bunch of people who are blindfolded and they're all feeling a different part of an elephant and because they can't see the whole, they're all saying it's something different. It's a fan or it's a wall or it's a rope, depending on which bit they're touching. And this is a joke because nobody can see the entirety, nobody sees what it actually is because they're only seeing a piece of the puzzle. In fact, I think this is quite a nice metaphor for interdisciplinary research because I think it can be really useful to take these different perspectives. It is really useful that economics, that sociology, that demography have very different perspectives on human <coughs> behaviour than anthropology does. So I think this is a really nice metaphor. This is one of the reasons why interdisciplinarity is such a good idea. Because human behaviour and physiology is so complex, it can be useful to see, uh, see it from very different perspectives. <laughs> with the caveat, of course, that ultimately we can all come together and agree that we do have an elephant in front of us, assuming that's um, a good metaphor for human behaviour, which maybe it isn't. But let me give you a, um, a more concrete example of interdisciplinarity being good because of different perspectives. So anybody who's familiar with demography will um, know the name John Bongartz and his approach called the Proximate Determinants of Fertility Approach. He has stimulated some very useful work in demography by asking the question, why are high birth rates so low? So he says, why don't all women produce 15 children during their lifetimes? Because that's the number of children that women could produce if they started having kids as soon as they were able to, if they stopped having kids at menopause and had lots of kids in between. So why don't we ever see populations where women have 15 kids on average each? This uh, heuristic has stimulated some very useful research in demography. Conversely, there's been very useful research stimulated in evolutionary anthropology by asking the opposite question. Why are human birth rates so high? 
So if you take a comparative cross-species perspective, humans actually have relatively rapid reproductive rates. Chimpanzees, gorillas, and orangutans, the uh, other ape species, all have much longer birth intervals and uh, lower fertility overall. This uh, is probably because we have cooperative reproduction. Humans have cooperative reproduction, help from other members of the social group, which enables women to have children more um, often. So this, I think, has stimulated a really useful research program in evolutionary anthropology. But these are, these are very different perspectives, very different questions. They're not contradictory, they're both heuristics. Bongartz doesn't expect all women to have 15 children, and no evolutionary anthropologist expects female fertility to look exactly like orangutan fertility. These are heuristics, but they've been very useful in stimulating research. So I think that's a concrete example of why different perspectives are good. But there is a problem with interdisciplinary research, which is essentially communication across disciplines. So this paper here is a research paper that examined the productivity of interdisciplinary research compared to non-interdisciplinary research. And they concluded that interdisciplinary research is less productive. It produces fewer papers and it takes longer to produce those papers, which may be why there was an article in the Times Higher recently saying that into or multidisciplinary research is career suicide <coughs> for junior academics. This, incidentally, was the point of view of an Oxford professor, though not um, an anthropologist. I most emphatically disagree with that point of view, incidentally. I think we should be teaching junior academics to do the best research that they can do rather than develop um, careerist ambitions. But I suspect, I mean, I do understand where this comment comes from, this perspective that interdisciplinary research um, it's, it's less productive, it will get you a, a, a shorter CV, essentially. This research paper also tried to look into why interdisciplinary research was less productive. And what the authors found was not so much that interdisciplinary research was disadvantaged in the review process, which I suspect those of us that do it suspect is going on. Actually, they found it was that the, the reason was that interdisciplinary research is actually harder it's, it's harder, it takes more time to get to grips with several different disciplines and to communicate across disciplines. So in order to, for biological anthropology to become more interdisciplinary, we do have to recognise this problem of communicating across disciplines. And partly this is that different disciplines use different jargon. Um, if I started using biological jargon like phenotypic plasticity, some people in the room are not going to understand what that is. Um, I also confess it goes in the other direction too. When economists start speaking, I very often have no idea what they're saying in about a sentence and a half because they also use very jargon-filled language. So jargon is a problem, but actually I think the problem of communicating across disciplines is worse than simple, <coughs> simply misunderstanding other disciplines' jargon. Because if you're listening to an economist using their jargon or a biologist using their jargon, you know you're not really understanding what they're talking about. I think there's a bigger problem with interdisciplinary research in that often we're using the same language and we think we're saying the same thing, but in fact we're not. And I'm going to use again a concrete example of what is a theory. I invite you all to think about what is a theory. What's your definition of a theory? And while you're doing that, I can uh, talk through a slightly gratuitous picture of Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, no, Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very different. <laughs> Anyway, I have no idea what Leonardo DiCaprio's views on theory are, but Leonardo da Vinci uh, thinks it is a very good thing to include theory in your practice, which I wholeheartedly agree with. I'll also tell you what the quotes on this slide are. 
All of these quotes are extracts from reviewer comments from papers of mine which have been bounced from social science journals in the last few years. Um, and I'm, uh, my papers are accused of things like being deliberately atheoretical. Now, I'm an evolutionary anthropologist. From my perspective, I have a very clear theoretical framework, that of evolutionary theory, from which I derive hypotheses, which I test against data. Bear in mind also that some of these quotes are from demography journals, and demography, as suggested by that slide a little while ago, is notorious for being a discipline without theory. So getting these comments from demographers completely baffled me. Why was I being accused of having no theory in my papers? And after this happened about three times, I gave one paper to a good and patient friend of mine who's a social scientist, made her read it and tell me why she thought I was getting these criticisms. And her definition of theory was very different from mine. So mine is an overarching theoretical framework from which you test hypotheses, which you test against data, from which you derive hypotheses. Her definition of theory is essentially what links the input variable to your output variable, your predictor variable to your outcome variable. So this is all quantitative um, evolutionary anthropology, all actually from the recent project I've had looking at whether kin influences fertility. Her idea of theory is what is the mechanism that links the presence of kin to the outcome of fertility. That to me isn't theory, it's, it's a mechanism, it's a, it's a description of a mechanistic process. It's not that it's not important, it's just not theory. <coughs> so this experience has really brought home to me recently that we all use theory in very, very different ways. And if we want to communicate across disciplines, we really need to be aware that we are not always using language um, in the same way. So what I want to argue for is that successful interdisciplinary research, and I think that is where biological anthropology should be heading, requires consilience across multiple disciplines, not just biology and anthropology, but many others too. This does, however, require a commitment to communication, a good communication across disciplines, and this first requires that we understand we are not always communicating very well. And I think this is important, my final point, in order to develop a holistic and multi-level understanding of human physiology and behaviour. Um, and I don't have time to talk in more detail about my multi-level approach to understanding human behaviour. Uh, instead, actually, let me, no, let me just talk to this. So, <laughs> I think when we, dis when we engage in interdisciplinary communication, we have to be aware that there isn't one single explanation for whatever phenomenon we are looking at. You can explain the same phenomenon, whether it's behaviour or physiology, at several different levels. If you're a biologist, you know the proximate ultimate distinction, um, so that you can explain something like a behaviour both through the immediate proximate mechanisms and also the ultimate evolutionary function. So that's one example of multi-level understanding of physiology and behaviour. And I think this is really key to understanding humans in their entirety. And I will skip right through to the very last slide. <laughs> so, my vision of biological anthropology is one which is interdisciplinary beyond just biology and anthropology. That requires a lot of convenience across disciplines, requiring effective communication in order to produce these multi-level explanations of living humans. Thank you.